aka Steve the Missionary, who is currently working as the Diocesan Coordinator for Young Adults and Evangelization in the Diocese of Oakland. Before taking a diocesan position, he spent three years as a focused missionary on campuses in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and California. In addition, Steve is a blogger for Hathios, where he expresses his thoughts on various topics ranging from Jim, Jimi Hendrix to Easter. Um, so join me in welcoming the wonderful Steve here with us today. Thank you, thank you very much. One more round of applause for Patrick. Another round of applause for Lemma, who like puts everything together and makes Patrick look good. <laughs> and one for Evelyn here who put this together at St. Luke. She's one of the main ones here. Uh, so my name is uh, Steve Lewis. Uh, the internet knows me as Steve the Missionary, like all like hundred people on the internet know me as Steve the Missionary. Um, uh, at my diocese, I'm a coordinator for Young Adults and Evangelization, which means that I have Patrick's job. Only he does, you guys are super lucky because he does his job way better than I do my job. Um, so you guys are super lucky. Um, and uh, I mean, he got Stephen Missionary to uh, do his theology on tap when I came to pull that off. Um, but I'm also, <laughs> I'm also a Catholic. Um, and just, you know, a few things that, to say about that. One is I believe that God exists. God exists and he loves us and he created us to, with the ability to love and the free will that it's required to be able to love. Uh, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing, so that's, that's point number one. Point number two is we didn't use it to love, we didn't use our free will to love him or each other, so instead we sinned, uh, and it's a problem. Uh, and you can see the ramifications of that all throughout our lives, all across the world, all these negative, uh, terrible things that happen when you separate yourself from God, from creation, and from each other. Uh, and so point three is we're kind of in this weird dilemma where we have cut ourselves off by our sin from God, the creator of all things, the source of all goodness, the source of life itself. And when you cut yourself off from the source of life, you, you end up dying. And if you cut yourself off from the source of eternal life, you end up having eternal death, which, which we cut now. Um, that's a problem. And God saw this problem, and he liked us anyway for some reason, and said, okay, you sinned, and therefore you, you die. That's your dilemma. What if I come down, and I'm one of you, and I don't sin, but I still die? Won't that break the equation? Won't that snap the chains that you're in? And so point number four I want to make is that's what he did. He came down, and he was a regular person, except he was God, and his name was Jesus. He spent a lot of time teaching. Uh, he taught a lot about how to live in that freedom from sin. And then he spent the rest of his time te teaching and talking about who he was so he would figure out how big of a deal this all was. And then he died very dramatically and horrifically. And then three, la three days later, he resurrected. He rose from the dead. And I know you've heard it before. But try to like be sufficiently freaked out by the concept that he rose from the dead. And his rising from the dead gives us a hope that maybe this all is actually true. This is all going to happen. Um, the hope that Christ said he was going to give us it actually shows off itself in the resurrection. And so point five I want to make is that literally everyone in the world is offered this hope. It's for everyone. Um, 
And it's very simple. How, how does one react to this hope? It's you, you confess, uh, you, you, you repent, you're baptized in this church, you confess and believe. And, and it's that simple. That's what I believe as a Catholic. Is that, does that resonate with you guys? Okay, um, we're going to do something really cool um, about that. It's the one thing I actually have to read off my paper. I ran out of black ink at home, so it's on green ink, because that's how I'm in control of my life when I am. <laughs> we are, um, we're, in, we're in the season of Easter, and you might have done this at, like, at the Easter Mass. We're going to do a, a quick prayer called the, uh, the Renewal of Your Baptism Promises which is really, really, really cool, just to kind of like amp this up to like the truths of the gospel message. So I'm gonna say a statement, if you agree with it, just say, I do. Um, and if you don't, just kind of chillax, or if you're not sure yet, like decide in the moment. Um, are you guys ready? <laughs> are you guys ready? Yes. 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 Thank you. All right. Do you renounce sin so as to live in the freedom of the children of God? I do. Do you renounce the lure of evil so that sin may have no mastery over you? I do. Do you renounce Satan, the author and prince of sin? I do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered death and was buried, rose again from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of the Father? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I did. Give yourselves a round of applause. So noticing that most of us are <laughs> noticing that most of us are Catholics in this room, I, I think we should spend a little bit of time talking about what does the Catholic Church do? Like what's what's the point and purpose of having a Catholic Church at all on earth? So you are gonna call the to tell me. What do you what do you think is the purpose of having a Catholic Church at all? <laughs> Don't cheat, don't look at someone else. The purpose of having a Catholic Church is to have a community in Christ. Have a community in Christ. Awesome. What about you? What do you think? You try to turn away from the teacher or something. Worldwide to teach the whole world about Christ, and it's it's and that's those are beautiful answers. Kind of part of this whole answer that the the purpose of the Catholic Church is to evangelize. That's its its its, its base purpose to spread the gospel, to spread the kingdom of heaven. And when you think about it, it sounds simple. Our job is to spread the gospel. Our job is to teach people about Jesus in the community. But there's a lot of detail in that. Think about your own parish. Think about this church right here, St. Luke's. Uh, a parish has to, one, tell people about Jesus, um, two, teach its own members, uh, three, just preach well. It has to provide a, a place for people to worship God well. It has to prepare people for the sacraments and administer the sacraments. It has to minister to the spiritual needs of these people who would probably like, have to mourn something, or they have to get married, or they have spiritual battles in their lives. It has to train people to run ministry, and it has to do all of these things, and then on top of that, it has to serve the poor and serve the marginalized um, and help the needy. And then on top of that, it has to fight for justice for the oppressed and the marginalized. That's a lot of things 
for one church to do. And if you can, um, I bet you every single one of you, if you think about your parish, if you think about your bishop, if you think about your priest, if you think about the Catholic Church in general, you can probably pick one thing out of that list and go, yeah, we really suck at that. Uh, we are not doing this fast enough. Like, or you, depending on who you are, what your title is, you're just like, yeah, we don't serve the poor near enough like what we should. We don't, our liturgy is awful. Uh, we, don't, we don't preach the gospel at all. No one knows about Jesus, even though a bunch of Catholics go to this church. Uh, and you can pick one by one. And myself, as a professional Catholic, um, it's a weird place to be. I end up spending a lot of time and energy trying to think about, like, why is it that we are a little slower than we should be? Like, there's over a billion Catholics in the world. And you think that we should have by now like, figured out how to do the preach the gospel thing, or figure out how to do the help the poor thing, uh, or figure out how to worship God thing. But we're still, like, we're trudging along so slowly, and it makes no sense to me. Uh, and I'm going to use a big churchy word uh, after thinking about this for a long time. Uh, so if you'll forgive me for using a big old church word. Um, that doesn't explain the whole problem, but I think can really help us uh, diagnose a big element of why we're so slow in doing the things that we have to uh, do as a church. So if you'll forgive me for big church words. Right? Okay. Clericalism. I'm sorry, guys, you got the clericalism talk. Like, last, <laughs> last week, Jackie Carson was like, kiss the Holy Spirit, and then, like, the Weindeckers are coming for the marriage one, and they're going to be, like, freaking awesome, and then Steve, the missionary, shows up for the clericalism talk. For you guys. Clericalism. An over-respect of the office of the priest to the point of never questioning never thinking twice. Another way to write it, the way I'm going to talk about it more likely. The, reser the reserving of the Christian life for just the priest, the reserving of the Christian life for just a specific group of people within the church, uh, with, to, to a subgroup of people within the church. Does that make sense to everybody? As a working definition. So the problem with the word clericalism is when, when I say clericalism, a lot of people think of like in a little stone church uh, with kind of an old priest and a bunch of parishioners that are very like meek and mild. I'm like, yes, Father, no, Father, absolutely, Father. Here's some free food at my restaurant, Father. Whatever you say, Father. I would never disagree with you, at least not to your face, Father. <laughs> and this exists, uh, and there are problems with it, but it tends to exist in places like Philadelphia, Boston, Ohio, you know, places that we as Californians are better than. <laughs> so we don't generally have to worry about stuff like that, but there is such thing as uh, a West Coast clericalism. Uh, and it kind of goes something like this. Um, we look at the priests and we say, you, you, you priest are going to be over there, and I'm going to be over here, and there's going to be this nice, like, line drawn in between us. And on this side of the line, there is going to be prayer, there's going to be fasting and almsgiving, there's going to be helping the poor, there's going to be preaching the gospel, there's going to be reading the Bible, knowing big church words like clericalism. And then there's going to be the line, and then there's going to be me, and there is going to be church on Sunday, but there's also going to be, like, eating and drinking and watching sports and having sex with my wife. Like, that's, ha that's what happens over here. 
Uh, and, and the holiness is what happens over there. Now the church, they saw this about 50 years ago, they decided to act. And what they did was, they started doing, they started using this buzzword, we're going to empower the laity. So lay people, you and me. We're going to empower the laity. And the way they did that was they started hiring random lay people to be part of their church staff. So it's like, you get a church job, and you get a church job. Everybody gets a church job. <laughs> so suddenly you have people who um, are just random lay people, and they have hand on like they're good people that went to school and like are holy and all that. But they um, but they're your youth ministers, and they're your directors of religious education, and they're your coordinators of young adults and evangelization, and they're your Catholic school teachers and Catholic school principals. And the church is like, look at them, they're just like you. They have student loans, and a family, and a job, and student loans, and a mortgage, or student loans. Doesn't that make you want to also be a fully participating Catholic? But we, fellow lay Catholic, we are far more clever than that. We do not allow them to trick us to doing extra work as a Catholic. <laughs> no, we are much smarter than that. So remember before, there was the line, and over there was the priest, and here was everybody else. Also in that, with the priest was uh, the deacons, the sisters, brothers, the nuns, and the monks, and the, and, the, and the seminarians were all in this kind of group. The line, and then there was us. Suddenly, members of us were like part of the holy crowd. So what did we do? We just redrew the line. <laughs> So over there is the priests and the deacons and the seminarians and the, and the brothers and the sisters and the monks and the nuns and the youth ministers and the DREs and the Catholic school teachers and the missionaries and the coordinators for young adults and evangelists and then the line and then me where there is drinking and eating and having sex with my wife and uh, watching sports. We're good. We're good at what we do. And I have lost track of where I'm supposed to be. Um, and we do this all the time. Like, think about how you treat your youth ministry friend. And you realize, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, you know this sort of thing, because you do youth ministry. It's like, I could never do what you do. That just sounds like too much prayer. Or like, hey, could... My favorite is, hey, could you be the one that prays grace before meal because you're the holy one? When, when I was a focused missionary my second year, I was talking to a friend, and she did. It was her first year. And it was about Thanksgiving time, and I told her, you need to come up with what you're going to pray for Thanksgiving grace, you know, the prayer before Thanksgiving meal. And she's like, I never pray that. Uh, like, my grandpa or my mom prays that, someone who's, like, more in charge of the family and also, like, older and wiser and holier than me. And I said, no, you have a church job now. You're the holy one in the family. And she did not believe me. She thought I was being clerical. She thought I was being kind of full of myself. And I'm like, no, 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 that's how your family sees you. It's a problem, but that's how they see you. And so after Thanksgiving, I'm like, so what happened? She's like, like they, 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 they clericalized her. They drew a line. This is the rest of the family, that's you. And I'm gonna go into ways that that kind of affects us in terms of our own Christian life, but I wanna really hammer home how dangerous this is. Uh, when you draw this line, um, you put the holy people over there and the rest of us over here. You, you end up lifting up these people. These are the ones that have an opportunity to be holy. I merely have an opportunity to be Catholic. So they're already on a pedestal. 
And then you notice how the division of labor is working out in the church, and it's very much in your favor. Um, all of the work being done by the church is being done over here is the church. That's the church, and I'm just someone who shows up on Sunday. They do all the work, and I like Sunday, I do the CCD. The longer that happens, the bigger the separation happens. To the point that you don't even know what's going on in the church, even though you're a member of the church. You're a participate in this community. And then when things happen that, you, that kind of rub you the wrong way or you kind of disagree with, you, you don't really want to change it because that would take a lot of effort for you. If someone else comes in and says, hey, this method of working together is not working, you'll actually defend the system because of how comfortable it makes you. And then when it, things move from things that rub you the wrong way to things that are objectively awful, when a sex scandal happens, you no longer have the tools, the connections, the knowledge, or the virtue to change it, to affect it, or to challenge it. The sex scandal and, um, and the crisis that we went through as, as a global church is one, dastardly and nefarious and awful, and two, we will be healing those direct wounds caused by it for another century, at least. And then after that, those sins will be thrown in our face every time we try to spread the gospel for at least another 300 years. And this system that we built of drawing this line had a huge hand in, in making this problem expand to the place that it was. This is the, the level of danger I want to express to you in drawing this line. We need a different model of how to work between laity and between the priesthood because we quite simply cannot go through that again. Uh, amen? Amen. So, um, and on top of that, it gets, even, even outside of what's dangerous about it, it gets so much wrong about how we could live as a Christian. Um, and by so much, I mean basically everything that makes being a Christian awesome. Um, so raise your hand if you are uh, a priest, a deacon, a brother, a sister, a seminarian. Okay, awesome. Two of you. Cool. One. Two, could you cover your ears for a second? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm a Jesuit. <laughs> Our job is bigger than their job. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Our job is bigger than their job. Their job is beautiful. Their job is literally a miracle of God. And every one of us, while we're single, should be spending some time praying about whether or not God wants to do that. But our job, dear fellow lay Catholic, is bigger than their job. Yes, the priests give us the sacraments, they give us the Eucharist. They are you know, leaders of their flock. Yes, the brothers and the sisters make immense sacrifices and give us so much prayer. The cloister uh, monks and nuns, they are literally holding us up in prayer. But our job is bigger than their job. So the only reason I am brave enough to see this is one, because I was Jesuit trained, um, and two, because Pope Francis said this. Lay people are, put simply, 
the vast majority of the people of God. The minority, ordained ministers, are at their service. Lay people are, put simply, the vast majority of the people of God. The minority, the ordained ministers, are at their service. So how can I say that our job is bigger? Because there's more of us. So by rights, the majority of the work belongs to us. And it's our turn to, to claim it. And it's going to be very hard for us to claim it if we have this same sort of model of what, what a priest and what a sister do and what a regular Catholic does. So let me provide you a slightly different model um, that I've stolen from the legends of St. Cecilia and her husband Valerian. Because I went, I went deep for this. Um, first of all, who knows St. Cecilia? Page of St. Music, right? Because it's something weird, like she heard an angel sing while she was getting married, it's, it's odd. Uh, it's not because she was famous for playing anything, it's because of some weird miracle. The reason I like her is for the legends off to the side. Um, so, once upon a time there was a, um, a young virgin named Cecilia living in pagan Rome during time of persecution. Um, she was married to Valerian. Valerian was uh, a pagan Roman, uh, but wanted to marry her anyway. On their wedding night, I think she should be the patron saint of negotiations as well, because on their wedding night, <laughs> she convinced him not only to be a Christian and to get baptized, but to live in a Josephite marriage. <laughs> so those of you not laughing, a Josephite marriage means uh, being uh, living in a marriage in a similar fashion as Mary and Joseph, and if you remember, Mary was a professional virgin unto her death, meaning Joseph being not the kind of guy who would cheat on Mary. Uh, was also a official not sex haver until he died. So, on their wedding night, after the vows, she's like, hey, cool idea. <laughs> <laughs> you, you become a Christian, and then we never had sex. And he's like, for some reason, said okay. And he's like, all right, well, how do I become a Christian? And she's like, well, I'm not going to baptize you. Um, that's not my job. Um, I don't have the consecrated hands, I'm not the priest. But, Go three miles outside of town because there's no priest in Rome because of persecution. Go three miles outside of town at the three mile marker, you'll meet an old man, and he's a priest. He will teach you and he will baptize you. Turns out that old man, legend has it, was uh, Pope Urban I, Saint Pope Urban I. So she sent him out. Pope Urban teaches him, baptizes him. He goes back. And then they do the same thing to Valerian's brother. They evangelize him, they tell him the gospel. They say, You should get baptized. And he's like, Okay, I want to get baptized. How do I do that? Well, you gotta go three miles outside of town, you know, meet an old man by the three mile marker, and he'll teach you, he'll baptize you. And they went on this like evangelization rampage across Rome. <laughs> and that was their system. They, they met people, they evangelized them, and no one was like, what do I do now? It's like, okay, now go meet the old man because it's time for you to be a Christian, it's time for you to be baptized. That's not my job anymore. You see the, the tag team element between Cecilia and Valerian and Urban. They knew what each other's jobs were, and they claimed their own job. Cecilia and Valerian didn't need to baptize people. They had enough work already. And Urban literally could not have met these people living in this situation. It was just not an opportunity for him. And I think that if we start viewing each other in our various states of life as our... our 
other members of the team that we can tag in and tag out, like a wrestling match or pass the baton in a less violent metaphor. Um, this will start to change the way we look at our own parishes. It will change the way we look at each other. Uh, it will change the way we, we look at the way the church functions. And I'm very excited about changing the way we think the church functions because right now, we have a different kind of image of the church. Right now, we like, we're a big fan of this image of the church. So this is the kind of photograph that Catholics love, right? So that's uh, Martin Luther King in the middle, and then some priest, I don't even know his name, off to the side, and we love that stuff. It's so cool. Look, look, look at the priest! We're like, it's so cool! Priests do awesome things, and I'm so inspired to be a Catholic now, and I love it. Everybody pointed the priest and talked about how awesome it is. And I get it. Um, and we do that even to this day. We're always like, trying to highlight when a priest does something, when a sister does something, to the point that it gets like, do you, do you guys ever see the video of the, the sister who was like on um, The Voice in Italy? Yes. Yeah, that was, that was okay. And then she like got kind of internet famous and did like, like a virgin. She made a music video for like a virgin. And it was about Jesus, but it was a little weird. <laughs> we kind of try to highlight these cool things that they do. That's our current model. And it, it, I see a lot of problems with that. So I'll tell you kind of how I see a problem with that. So I was talking to a, uh, I have no idea how I am on time. Okay. Um, I was talking to a parishioner at one of our churches who did not like his priest and was telling me about it. And when you work for the church and someone's complaining to you about a priest, all you can really do is kind of smile and nod and, and pray for death because just take me now. And he was talking about how he lived in a parish that had, uh, had uh, the neighborhood had experienced some violence recently. And so the parish got together and done a ceasefire walk, a nighttime. Uh, walk through the neighborhood to kind of calm things down, um, essentially a protest for peace in their own neighborhood. And when they had done this before, their old priest would go on the walks, he would be one of these guys. But this new priest, who's very mad because he didn't even show up. Now I get it. I get that frustration. Priests should be part of the grit of their people's lives. Um, priests should be kind of shepherds of their flock and smell like the sheep and, and should really know what's going on. But at the same time, that's not his job. It's my job to be the church in the streets. I love this picture, and I love a bunch of pictures like I get excited just like any other Catholic, but what I really would like to see is a nice picture of just a bunch of people at the this is the Martian Selma, like, and with arrows pointing at random people saying, like, oh, this person goes to St. Luke's Parish, and this goes to Our Lady Perpetual Health, and this person goes to St. Mary's Parish. Um, I want that highlighted. Because, yes, a priest needs to be a leader, both kind of pushing you off the door and this sort of like symbolic idea that kind of pushes things, but the real role of us is to be the church in the streets. The real role of, of the priest is, is to bless us, to, to go back out, to give us the, the communion so that we can go back out, to, to forgive us our sins when we script, to kind of dust us off before we push back out, to arm us uh, and protect us so that we can get the work of being a Catholic done. Amen? Amen. Is, does that make sense to anybody? <laughs> um, when I was a missionary, I was... Um, <laughs> 
I did like a short-term mission trip with some college students to Honduras, and I got this this bracelet there. It's not the sort of sappy thing where I wear it every day. I'm, this is just a prop for this talk, just to be honest. Uh, one because these aren't my style, and two because I have lots of arm hair. It's just not pretty. <laughs> on one side it says Misioneros Católicos 2012, and on the other side it says Tu vida es misión. Your life is a mission. And for someone who has who had a job for only three years where my job title is mission, this phrase is really important to me because my life as a missionary, my life as being on mission did not end when my job title of missionary ended. And that's important uh, to me, but I think it's kind of important to uh, all Christians. Raise your hand if you've been baptized. Cool. Raise your hand if you've been confirmed. Raise your hand if you are a missionary of God. One more time. Raise your hand if you're baptized. Raise your hand if you are confirmed. Now raise your hand if you're a missionary of God. Okay, we're going to try this again. Raise your hand if you're baptized. Nice and high. Raise your hand. Nice, like, really be proud of. Raise your hand if you're confirmed. Raise your hand if you're missionary God. There it is. Awesome. If you are confirmed, you are by definition a missionary of God. So thank God Jackie Francois just came here last week because I'm going to like steal a bunch of her stuff probably. Because do you know what happens when you get confirmed? You are sealed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's really powerful stuff. Um, there's a writer, she says that like if we actually knew what was going on, we would show up to church in a hard hat because of how just like dangerously volatile God is. Um, she, uh, yeah, you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is God, and you have his gifts sealed on you. There is, after your confirmation, there is literally nobody more qualified to be the church in the street than you. And it is your right and your duty to pick up that work. Don't let it go away. Don't trade it away for cheap. Don't be like Esau, who traded away his inheritance for a bowl of soup. Right. Um, keep it. It's yours. And and this and remember, you're only one person. No one person can accomplish everything that the church is supposed to do. And that's why God gave you the things you care about your own passions, the things that tick you off, other things that inspire you. Because we're all adults here, like notice them. Pray a little bit and make some decisions and go do it. Maybe you're the, maybe you're the one that thinks that it just it gets in your head that we need to worship God the best way possible. Go, go do liturgy stuff, go be a liturgist, don't be a jerk about it. Someone is annoying, but but go do it. We definitely need it. Maybe you're the kind of person that, like, I, I just want to end abortion in my generation. It is the plague of our time. Good. You're right. Go do it. Maybe, maybe you're the person, like, I just want to, I want to talk to my friends, and I even want to talk to strangers about Jesus. There's a spiritual malady going on because people have forgotten Christ. Good. Go do it. I want, I want, to, I want to fight for immigrants. There's a problem in this country, uh, and, and these 
these people are, are being pushed to the outside. Good, go do it. All of those things, go do it. Remember to have that mutual respect. The same thing I described between the priest and the laity. Have the same thing between each other. Um, Cecilia and Valerian has, you know, slightly different passions and, and, and desires and things that tick them off. They respected that from each other. Respect that of, of, of the people at your table, because we're going to need every single one of your passions if we're going to get done with the work of the church is. It's, it's going to be really difficult, um, but it's going to be very important. Uh, and, then, and then this is just like the rapid fire things that make Steve passionate. Um, one is don't ask for permission uh, to do good things. You know, don't do things that are against the teaching of the church and call it Catholic, but at the same time, you don't have to ask permission from your parish to make sandwiches and give them to the poor. You don't have to ask permission from your parish to start a Bible study in the living room. You don't have to ask permission from your parish to to write your congressman or to write your mayor because of some political thing. You don't have to ask permission to your parish to talk to strangers on the street about Jesus. You just have to do it. If that's what you're supposed to do, go do it. If, if your priest kind of corrects you because you're going off out of bounds, listen. But you don't have to ask permission to be a good Christian. Because the world certainly isn't going to give you that permission. And your priest is kind of waiting for you to just do it all. And if, if you feel that your call is to actually work in the structure of your parish, it is going to be a, a bit of a fight. They are, going to cheat, they are going to treat you like a dumb millennial. This happens at my job. The IT guy at my work, who is a moron, <laughs> treats me not like a professional, but like a millennial, and it drives me to the wall. And we, in the Bay Area, we tell the story of a young woman who goes to her parish, and she says, hi, I don't have a lot of time to volunteer, but I have certain set of skills. And I think that I'd be really useful on your life finance council or on your parish council. Uh, and especially me, I can only meet like once a quarter. Is that possible? And the priest looks at her and like, like the head here, he's like, mm, no, but you are like 28, and that's a perfect age to like chaperone our youth, or youth, whatever. They meet every Wednesday and have a weekend trip. And she's like, no, you don't understand. I can't do that. I can't pull that off with my job. But I think I'm actually really good for your finance council or your parish council. Is that possible? And again, they're like, ah, you should chaperone the, the confirmation retreat. And she just like didn't come back. Um, and because of the Bay Area, she was like, turns out she was a 28 year old like head of a startup company that she bought into a Fortune 500 company. And we would have been very cool to have her on finance council, but because they only saw her as a dumb millennial who's only worthwhile to chaperone teenagers, they missed out. This might happen to you. And you're just gonna have to like go for it. If you're working within your parish, you're gonna have to like stand there for yourself and say, no, 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 I'm not a teenager, I'm a grown adult. I am not the future of the church. I am the present of the church. The church is only as spiritually healthy as I am. So remember why remember when I had you um, renew your baptismal promises? Like, why did I do that? One, because it's such a powerful prayer. It's a powerful prayer of freedom. It, it, it's, it's all about rejecting Satan. And remember, Satan's kind of strong. Like, you're on Jesus' team and he's stronger, but he's, a, he's, he's not weak. You're rejecting Satan so as to live in the freedom of Christ. And all of these things that I just told you, the, the getting rid of this line that we built, 
the following your own passions to serve the, the to serve Christ and to serve the church, that takes freedom, that takes courage. It's very important to have that. And you're going to need that if you're going to live the calling bestowed on you by your baptism. The work of the church is our work, dear lay Catholic fellow person. It was bestowed on us by the sacraments, and the sacraments prove it. So let's get to work. <laughs>